Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning. Am I on back there? All right, I'm on back there. Well, hey, before I, I get into that and get into uh, continuing our, our teaching series this morning, uh, I, I want to bring you, God's people, to prayer this morning. Um, I want to let you know one of our uh, Crosspoint members, uh, Lisa Bosker, last night was rushed to the hospital. Uh, she's in an emergency. She's in serious condition. I can't give you all the details of it, but it's very, very, very serious. Um, and so I want to invite you as God's people to lean in with me this morning as we bring her before God and pray for her. Um, more details will be forthcoming, but uh, they just want to, at this point, let's keep it private and then we'll, we'll be more public with it as we go forward. But it's a health condition that's um, really affecting her, her health now and perhaps her health for the future. So can we pray together? Let's, let's lean in together. Uh, God, we acknowledge that... Um, you are good and you are great. We acknowledge that uh, you are great and you can do anything. We acknowledge that you're good and that you, um, you seek the good of your people and you are for us, not against us. And God, today uh, we, we just uh, pray for healing power in Jesus' name over Lisa's body. We know that Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you healed then and you can heal now. And we have seen you heal and we believe it to be true. And Jesus, we ask that you would heal her body now in Jesus' name. That uh, where she is at, uh, you would just reach in and uh, just bring about a transformative work in the physical flesh of her being. We pray that you would protect her from further uh, damage that could be done. Uh, we pray for Todd and the family, Lord, that you would give them peace and strength and courage in this time as well. Uh, we lift up our dear sister to you. We thank you, God, that you are faithful and that every promise is yes through Christ Jesus. And we trust you now, and we trust her to you um, as God's people, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, if you, uh, if you are just joining us today, um, we are in the final week of our series called Redemptive Echo. And the goal of this series has been to discover how to have meaningful spiritual conversations with people who do not uh, fully know or understand the good news about Jesus. So each week we've been looking at a contemporary popular song uh, that's out there. And what we've been trying to identify are the deep heart longings behind each song. Um, and along the way, we've also been trying to discover how these, these deep heart longings that are behind each song have been distorted somehow, distorted by the fall, distorted by our own brokenness that's inside of us. Um, and by doing this, we're hoping to learn to have meaningful spiritual conversations with people. Because here's the thing, as, as we learn to listen beneath the lyrics, as we learn to listen beneath the stories of people's lives, uh, we can then demonstrate to them how Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of all of our heart's deepest longings, all of our heart's deepest aspirations. Now, I wish I could say more about that. Uh, I encourage you to listen to the first week in the series. You can listen to it online. You can go to our website or you can listen to it uh, via podcast. Uh, and that would kind of unpack a little bit more uh, kind of the premise behind the series. But today, 
I want to get right into things. Uh, and today we're going to listen to a song that grew in popularity in 2014. Uh, it was by a South African band called the Congos. Um, it's four brothers in the band, and their last name happens to be Congo, uh, Congos. And so uh, the song first was popular in South Africa. It took a while once they moved to America to kind of gain some traction here. If you've been to a sporting event in the last couple of years, uh, chances are you have heard the chorus to this song being played over the, uh, over the loudspeakers. So um, what you're going to experience as you listen to this song is kind of the, the ruinations or the echo of a person's inner battle. There's, there's this struggle uh, between doing the right thing and keeping your standards and kind of letting it all go and, and just letting loose with what you really want to do. So um, there's this wrestling match that you're going to hear and you're going to feel going on in the octagon of the mind. So that's what we're going to listen to. Um, we're going to listen to just about a minute of the song, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about it, and it's going to be a springboard into the rest of our conversation. So let's listen to this together. Afraid to lose control and caught up in this world. I've wasted time, I've wasted breath I think I've thought myself to death I was born without this fear Now only this seems clear I need to move, I need to fight I need to lose myself tonight Catchy tune, and I, I got to say, I, I I love the musical composition of this song. I have to admit, it is so it is so catchy, and actually, the rhythms in it uh, come from uh, something known as Kwaito music. It's a kind of a house rhythm that uh, found its way uh, that originated in Johannesburg, South Africa. And so it's it's and besides, I mean, the song has an accordion in it and a steel guitar. I mean, who doesn't love accordion and steel guitar? Anyway, it's a it's a great uh, great sound and feel to it. Um, now, I, I want to talk about the, the redemptive echo in the song. What is one of the core themes behind this song that we can identify this morning? And, and as I listen to it, I think one of, the, one of the major themes that it's addressing is one of freedom. Freedom. See, there's this tug of war that's, that's going on within him, this tug of war bef- between conforming and between cutting loose, just, just being free. You know, do I go with the flow or do I do, I do what's expected? Do I, do I just kind of throw off all sensibility and, and lose control? Or, uh, you know, do I do the right thing, what I've always been taught, what the, what the world is asking me to do? And so the, the artist of the song is wrestling with freedom and following his basic human instincts. And yet he's confused about what to do. I'm confused. You ever found yourself caught up in that type of a battle before? This kind of wrestling match between that? I bet you have. I bet you at some point in your life you've found that. And in big ways and in small ways, you've, you've felt that wrestle, that wrestle for freedom. 
Now, freedom, as it turns out, is a great starting point for a spiritual conversation. I think you would be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't think that freedom is important. I mean, we're Canadians, right? I mean, we have this Canadian document that's pretty important to us. It's called the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, right? Freedom is pretty, our whole, the fabric of our society is based on this idea of freedom. So as, as good Canadians, freedom, freedom is pretty important to us. Uh, and, and freedom, I realize it, it's a pretty broad topic. Um, but let me just say this. We live in a day and age where there is a higher demand for freedom than ever before. And, and then part of this is, is the result of just being part of a technological age. Uh, we have more access to information than we've ever had before. We have more buying options than we've ever had before. You can travel to more places on this planet than you have ever before. Uh, we live in an age where we value maximized freedom. And it's, it's almost like an idol in our culture, this maximized freedom. What do, I, what do I mean by maximized freedom? I mean, maximum freedom is, maximized freedom is the absence of restrictions. In other words, we want, we want freedom without constraints, and we want freedom without consequences. Let me say that again. We want freedom without constraints, and we want freedom without consequences. So as a culture, we, we don't really want anybody telling us what we can and what we cannot do. We want the freedom to become who we want to become. We want the freedom to love who we want to love. We want the freedom to buy what we want to buy. We, have the, we want the freedom to, to eat what we want to eat. And the challenge is, though, in our culture, is that when you take away any sort of objective basis for ethics, any objective basis for morality, it gets a little fuzzy about where freedom starts and where freedom ends. Where has freedom kind of gone too far. And, and that's the challenge, of course, culturally that we live in, is when there's no objective standard for what's right and what's wrong. I mean, when is freedom too much? And by the way, did you know that you can buy 1,500 live ladybugs on Amazon? Seriously, you can buy them for $12, and that's including shipping. And I know. Why in the world would anybody want to buy 1,500 live ladybugs? And the answer is, because I can, right? Because I want to. And who are you to tell me that I cannot buy 1,500 live ladybugs? Besides, they're delicious. And, and speaking of delicious, have you tried eating a Tide Pod lately? Did you know that you are absolutely free to do so? And apparently there are a lot of teenagers out there who are exercising their freedom to eat Tide Pods. Now, you might poison yourself, you might experience respiratory distress, vomiting, diarrhea, seizures, or even death. But hey, who am I to tell you what to eat or what not to eat? I'm no foodie. Now, there is a lot of confusion in our culture today about freedom. Now, what does the Bible teach us about freedom? Does the Bible have anything to say about freedom? Actually, it has a lot to say. And so, for the remainder of our time together this morning, I just want to very quickly run through five principles of freedom from God's Word this morning. And what we're going to discover is that God actually wants freedom for us more than we ourselves do. That God is a bigger fan and a bigger believer in humanity's freedom than humanity itself is. I'm going to discover that this morning. So, Let's quickly run through these five principles of freedom that we find in God's Word. Here's principle number one, really quickly. We were created free. 
We were created free. The reason why freedom matters so much to us, the reason why our culture loves freedom so much is actually we were designed this way. The very first two human beings on the planet, Adam and Eve, were created as free beings. They were created in God's image. God gave them authority to give leadership over his creation. He says, you know, I want you to be the leaders. I want you to be the caretakers. I want you to be the cultivators of all of creation. This was tremendous freedom that God gave to his people in the beginning. But God also gave them a significant choice. He gave them the freedom of whether they would follow him or whether they would rebel against him. So God put them in the garden. Um, he put them in the garden. He says, yeah, I'm going to give you the freedom. You can eat from any tree in the garden that you want, absolutely any. But there's one tree that you can't eat from. This is the one restriction I have for you. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that day you will surely die. Now, what's interesting about this choice, this freedom uh, that God gave them, what's interesting about the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and I find this fascinating, is that God did not build a wall around the tree. He didn't set up motion detectors. He didn't wrap it in like electrified barbed wire. He didn't build a moat around it. He just kind of left it there, hanging there. And why was that? It's because God was giving them a choice. God had given humanity from the beginning freedom. God had given them free will. You ever thought about how risky free will is? I mean, what if Adam and Eve chose to do the wrong thing? I mean, what, if they, what if they rebelled against God? I mean, did God even think about what might happen? What, what doorways would be open? What evil would be brought into the world? Why would God even allow that? Why would God make evil possible by giving them this freedom? But here's the thing. Free will not only makes evil possible, free will also makes love possible. You see, authentic love, real love requires a choice. You cannot force somebody to love you. Friends, you can't, you can't love a robot, right? It doesn't matter what kind of AI operational system is in that robot. You cannot love a robot. Uh, no matter how advanced it is, you will always know that it was not the robot's choice to love you back. At the end of the day, it was really just some sort of a complex algorithm. You cannot love a robot. You can only love something or someone who is going to love you back freely with free will. True love requires a choice. And the reason why God gave humanity free will, freedom at the beginning, was he wants us to love him back freely as a free choice of the will. We were created as free beings, free to choose, free to love, and free to do evil. So that's the first principle. Here's the second principle. We're never free. We are never free. Our freedom is always limited. You might even say that true freedom, absolute freedom for any human being is a little bit of an illusion. Nobody is completely free because we all have constraints on our freedoms. Uh, how many of you stop at red lights? Anybody? Anybody not stop at red lights? Okay, there's a reason why, and, and the reality is if you stop at red lights, you are limited by the constraints of the traffic system. You do not have absolute freedom if you stop at red lights. You're also probably not just concerned about the constraints, you're concerned about the consequences of stopping at a red light. If you blow a red light, you might get a ticket or you might get T-boned, right? So you don't, want to, you don't want to blow through red lights. You are constrained by the limitations of red lights. You are not free. 
And conceivably, there is actually only one being in the entire universe who is absolutely free. He was never elected, right? He's never been a candidate for an election. He, he doesn't have to worry about what his voters think, right? There is only one being in all the universe who is absolutely free, and that is God himself. God is not constrained by anyone or anything. God does not have to worry about the consequences of his own decisions. God is absolutely free. You know, even Adam and Eve in the garden had limited freedom. As caretakers of the creation, they, they actually had to act under the authority that was given to them by God. They didn't own the creation. They were stewards of the creation. And as its caretakers, um, they acted under God's authority. But they still had incredible freedom. It's like God gave them this amazing sandbox to play in. He said, don't step outside the sandbox, but here's your sandbox. Build, create, make love cultivate, fill the earth, here's your sandbox, go at it, have fun, there's your freedom. But it was still limited freedom. Now when the serpent came along, when the serpent came along, as the story goes in Genesis chapter 3, and he tempted him, did you ever realize what the point of attack was for him? Where did he attack Adam and Eve? What was his argument? Well, let's let's quickly look at the story in Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 4. Let me just read the text for you this morning. Here's what it says. Um, The serpent said this. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. You'll notice Satan's strategy here. First of all, he he tried to convince them that their choice would be without consequences. No consequences. You will not surely die. And he also enticed them to remove their constraints. He said to them, hey, here's the thing. God is holding out on you because he knows that if you eat the fruit, you will be like God, having this knowledge of good and evil. Eat the fruit. Remove the constraints. But of course, we know the story, and when they, when they ate the fruit, they didn't get the freedom that they anticipated. In fact, all that happened was they changed allegiances Instead of having God as their Lord and their master who was good and benevolent and righteous and pure, they exchanged it for another master, and they became enslaved to him. And their new master was actually worse than their old one. They became slaves of sin, and they became captive under this, the God of this age. Sin became part of their natures. It infects all of humanity. Sin, sin is passed down from generation to generation. We covered this a lot last week. It taints everything, even the good we try to do. It's this, this destructive force that's at work in the world today. It's the reason why we have wars and, 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 and child prostitution and all sorts of breakdowns in our world. It's, it's because of sin tainting everything, this destructive force. It separates us from God, but it also separates us from each other. So humanity lost their original freedom, and they became slaves to sinful desires that are at war with inside of them. It just became part of our nature and, and, and who we are. And we have this, this propensity to do the wrong things and, and sometimes to, to act selfishly. So we have limited freedom as human beings. But here's the third principle. 
is that God wants us. God wants us to be truly free. Did you know that this morning? God wants you to be truly free. Let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Here's what Peter says. Peter writes, the apostle Peter. He says, live as free people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Live as God's slaves. God wants us to be free people, but, but God's freedom is radically different from the freedom that is conceived by the world in which we live. It's not a freedom from constraint. It's not a freedom from consequences. It's not a cover-up for evil. That's how Peter would describe it, right? Instead, it's not the freedom to do what I want, when I want, and how I want it. Instead, God's freedom is this. True freedom is becoming who I was designed to be in the first place. Let me say that again, because this, this is the center point of the message this morning. True freedom is becoming who I was designed to be. God made you, and, and God made me. He designed us to be like him. He designed us for love. He designed us for goodness. He, he designed us for compassion. He made us strong. He made us victorious and capable. You are his image bearer, fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what it means to be truly human. That's what it means to be truly free. Becoming who you were designed to be. That is what human freedom is all about. And when you are living according to your design, you can reach your highest potential. And not just about doing the right kinds of things, but becoming the right kind of person. When you make God your master, you become a disciple of Jesus. And when you become a disciple of Jesus, you begin to model your life after him. You become to get transformed into his image. And you become who you were designed to be. This is how the Bible conceives of true human freedom. And here's the thing. Is when you are living according to your design, it will bring an intense sense of joy and fulfillment in your life. Because you know deep down inside that you are fulfilling your God given destiny and design. You are becoming the actual best version of yourself, reborn and restored into the image of your creator. You are becoming who God designed you to be. That is true freedom for the believer in Christ. And this is the freedom that God wants for you. God wants us to be truly free. He wants that for us. And here's the fourth thing, and this is really important this morning, is that Jesus set us free. Jesus set us free. How can we be free if we are held captive by sin? That's the problem. Because, but, because sin isn't like, it's not like an app on your phone that you can just kind of take off of your phone and then your phone's good, right? Sin is interwoven into our very nature as human beings. We have these, these intense desires and, and these, this tainting that's going on in our nature that makes us want to do the wrong thing. Makes us act selfishly sometimes. Um, and it's interwoven in who we are. So how do you deal with that problem? right? I mean, I think I could go to thousands of hours of counseling, and I probably wouldn't deal with that problem. I could never seem to, to get rid of it and overcome it. Um, sin had to be dealt with, and it was a God-sized problem. And God's solution to the problem of sin, of course, we know the story, was to send his own son into the world. And God came to deal with the penalty of sin, but also God came to deal with the power of sin. And I want to talk about that this morning, uh, because this is where we understand where true freedom and true liberty comes for a, a believer in Christ. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's from Romans chapter 6. Uh, it's a very important passage of Scripture for a believer in Christ. I would say that if you want to live a victorious life, you want to live a life of freedom, this is the one passage you really need to get your head around as a believer in Christ in, in, in the New Testament. 
So I'm going to read a, a little bit of portion from that and encourage you to follow along from Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul's writing. And here's what he says, starting in verse 6. He says, For we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but to alive to God in Christ. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is, this is good news. This is the best news ever. And let me tell you why. First of all, there are two highlights from this text that I want to bring to your attention to this morning. Uh, two big ideas. The first one is this. I am free from sins, guilt, and shame. But the second one is, I am free from sin's reign. And this is true of you also. You are free from sin's guilt and shame, but you are free from sin's reign. Let me break these down for you really quick this morning. Here it is. Uh, uh, because of Jesus, I am free from sin's guilt and shame. God told Adam, if he ate from the tree, he would surely die. What was he talking about? He's talking about physical death, physical death entered into the world, but he's also talking about spiritual death, separation from God, unable to gain a relationship with God because of the sinful nature, which puts you in opposition to God, does not allow you to come into the presence of God. Death came into the world. Paul said it in verse 23. He said what? He said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So nobody's without guilt. We're all guilty. I'm guilty. And because of that, we are spiritually separated from God. But Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins. He paid it with his own life. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus frees us from sin's guilt and shame. When I accept Christ into my life, he gives me his free gift of salvation. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. He makes me a new creation. He allows me to start over and to begin again. We are liberated. We are free from the guilt and shame of sin because Jesus took them and he nailed them to a cross. That's the first thing that Paul's trying to get across here. But here's the second thing. And this is the thing that I think believers don't often know or don't always believe. So often we can accept, yeah, I am free from the penalty of sin, but we have a great difficulty understanding that I am free from sin's reign. I am free from the power of sin. See, Jesus not only frees us from the penalty, but he frees us from the power. And when we accept Christ, a supernatural joining happens. Something a new spiritual reality takes place within us. What happens is my old self, the person I used to be before Christ, dies a less than tragic death. It goes six feet under. It's pushing up daisies. It is no longer alive. It is dead. The old me is dead. And when it dies, Jesus not only 
kills it, but he also brings, creates a new spiritual reality in me. A new self in me is born again. A new self in me is made alive through Christ. Because I am spiritually and supernaturally tied to Christ. When I put my faith and my trust in Christ, the old me dies, the new me comes to life. And here's the thing. The old me was the old me that was belonging to sin, that was attached to sin. Sin had a certificate of ownership on the old man. The old man, the old me, was a slave to sin. And the old man had a certificate of ownership. But now, I belong to Christ. There is a new me. And I am now in a new spiritual reality. And because I'm in this new spiritual reality, and there is a new me, I no longer belong to sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am, in fact, free. As a believer in Christ, you have entered into a new supernatural spiritual reality. You are no longer a slave to sin. In other words, you no longer have to obey your master. You no longer have to follow your old nature. Now, this doesn't mean that sin, the sin nature is, is, is gone. I mean, it is still there. It's still seeking to control you. You will be tempted. You can still sin. But it is only doing it as a usurper to the throne. It is a pretend monarch. It's like, I tried to imagine this. You, you used to have this old boyfriend, and he was a jerk, and he ruled you with an iron fist and kept you under his thumb. And then you broke up with him, and then you got married, and you married the most amazing guy in the world. He loves you. He dotes over you. He cares about you. He, he it causes you to excel, to become the best version of yourself. He's amazing. And you have a marriage certificate to this new guy, and you have no ties to this old guy. But every once in a while, the old guy, the old boyfriend, drives up to your house, and he parks in front of your front lawn, and he opens up the door and says, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you want to come for a ride? Just like old times, you know what I'm saying? And that's what sin's like. It comes around and it takes you for a ride. But the reality is you're not married to the old guy. He's dead, beat, dead, and gone. You're attached to the new guy. This is your new spiritual life, your new spiritual reality. And this is the point that Paul is trying to get across. Who the sun sets free, Jesus said, is free indeed. The one who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus also said this, I would that you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The reality is, you are free from the power of sin. The other reality is that sometimes we don't believe it, and we don't know it. You are free. Which brings us to the last fifth point, the fifth principle this morning, is that we must think and we must act as free. You are free. Jesus says you are free indeed. And the problem is, is that you don't always think and act as though you are free. And the reason is, is that because our minds, our minds have not caught up to our reality. Let me go back to just what Paul says in, in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans. Because this is really important. It's actually the, the, the practical point of his entire argument. Here's what he says. He says, in the same way, in the same way. So he's just finished explaining, dead to the old, alive to the new, all of that, right? He says, now in the same way, 
You need to count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's given a commandment here. So you need to count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, consider your old self assassinated in your mind. You know, other translations use the word reckon um, instead of count yourself. The Greek word there, reckon, it means to, to reason about, to ponder, to think about, to keep a mental record of, to reflect on this truth as a reality. Reflection is, is kind of a difficult skill to acquire in our day and age, a fast and furious digital age. We go through information faster than woodchucks in a woodpile. But reflection is, is necessary. It's necessary if we are going to live as free people. Paul's saying we must accept and fully cognate that we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. So reckoning, counting yourself dead to sin has to do with the spiritual renewing of the mind. It's about having our minds retrained, rewired, refocused so that we fully understand this new spiritual reality that Christ has given to us. Because here's the thing, friends. At the end of the day, we become who we think we are. We become who we think we are. And if we do not think we are free, then we will not live as free people. The starting point of freedom is in the mind. You know, Paul, Paul actually explains this brilliant, brilliantly in, an, in another passage in, in 2 Corinthians. And, and I just want to read it for you this morning, and, and you can follow along. Paul says this. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So Paul is, is describing the Christian life, the Christian walk, as one of war. Does it sound familiar to the song we started with this morning, The Battle of the Mind? And, and there are just two questions I want to answer from the text this morning. Here's the first question. First of all, where is the battlefield? Paul says it's in our minds. He says the mind is the place of thoughts, of arguments, of knowledge. There is a war going off in our minds every single day. There is gunfire going off inside of our brains day by day. The second question is this. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is, is a defensive fortress. And you, you set up a stronghold. You set up this defensive fortress to hold your position. You set it up to keep the enemy out. And Paul is saying, he's saying, you know, you can, you can set up strongholds in your mind. What are strongholds? They are deceptions and lies and false beliefs. Layered and piled on top of each other, brick by brick. They're set up to oppose the true knowledge of God, to keep it out, to keep it back. But the thing about strongholds, Paul seems to be clearly stating here, is that they can be demolished. And the way that we demolish strongholds in our minds is through God's word. It is the sword of spirit. It divides soul and spirit, joint, bone, and marrow. And with the sword of the spirit, with the truth of God's word, we can tear down the walls of deception. And Paul says, as a matter of fact, we should take those false thoughts captive. He says, we should, we should drag them out of their fortress where they're holed up in, put them in handcuffs, lock them up, and then bring them under submission to the truth of Christ. He's saying there are strongholds in our minds. You know, you know what a stronghold in your mind could be? 
I got this, this sin in my life and I'll, I'll never be free. I, I got this bad habit and I, I've been wrestling with it for years. And I, I, don't, I don't know if God's big enough to help me with this. I think this is just my lot in life. You know, that, that's, a, that's a stronghold in your life. Another show. I, I need God to give me the power to overcome sin in my life. I need the power of God to just come on me so that sin can be broken in me. Take those out. Put them in handcuffs. Lock them up. And bring them under submission to the truth of Christ. If you want to experience the freedom that you already have, you need to become the jailer and not the prisoner. Paul says you need to take captive your thoughts and you need to replace them with the truth of who you are. The truth, my friends, is you are already free from sin. You are already dead to sin and alive in Christ. The challenge is we live in a very emotive age. We live in an age that highly values romanticism, emotivism, being, existentialism. And so we put so much weight on our feelings. Feelings aren't necessarily a bad thing. God gave them to you. He created you with feelings. But the problem is that so many of us are just led by our feelings. It's like the lyrics from today's song. Let me read them to you. I think with my heart and I move with my head. I open my mouth and it's something I've read. Confused what I thought with something I felt. Confused what I feel with something that's real. It could not have better described the reality in which we live in as a culture. We cannot allow our feelings to hijack our minds. You cannot feel your way towards freedom. Paul's saying you have to think your way there. And as you think your way there, ultimately your feelings will follow. The battle, friends, for each of us, the battle has already been won on Calvary. The battle now needs to be won in your mind. God wants you to live in this new spiritual reality. To do that, you have to have a new mind. You cannot step into the future and still think in your past. You are free already. You are free from the power of sin. You are free to become who you were designed to be. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. That's truth. Well, how do we do that? How do we reckon it? How do we get it into our minds? Let me just be really practical here for a morning, uh, for a moment this morning. Uh, first of all, I'd say do three things. Number one, you've got to speak it. Number two, you've got to pray it. Number three, you've got to worship by it. Speak it, pray it, worship by it. These are practices that rhythms in our lives that help us to change our minds. Uh, first of all, speak it. You need to confess it. You need to learn to confess these truths to yourself. You need to confess it to other people. The more you do that, the more it will begin to change your mind. Confession is a powerful thing. Sometimes we have to confess the lies that we've been believing, and then we replace them and confess the truths that we need to believe. That's true of ourselves. And the more you confess, not just in your mind, but with your mouth, the more it transforms you. Second, I think you need to pray it. And when I say pray it, we, we, we need to thank God for our spiritual reality. Don't pray and, and ask God to deliver you from the power of sin. You pray and you thank God that he has already delivered you from the power of sin. And then pray for the power to think it and then the power to live it out. 
Ask him to renew your mind through the Holy Spirit and step into and live in your new reality. We have to pray it. And finally, we need to worship by it. You know, I, I love sporting events. You know, I love the Saskatchewan Riders. You know what I'm saying? Can I hear an amen on that? Yeah. <laughs> Crickets. All right. Uh, when I go to a Riders game, I am, I am in. It is a full body experience from the tips of my toes to the top of my head. I'm like, yes, Riders. Yeah. Right. Especially when they win. Especially when they win. I am just stoked. It's like, ah, right? Because it's a great victory. I'm dumbfounded sometimes that that we are the people who get to celebrate the greatest victory in human history, and sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, yeah." right? I think if you will engage in the worship of Christ from the tips of your toes to the top of your heads with all of your heart and believe it to be so and celebrate it, celebrate it, that he has freed you from the penalty of the sin and the power of sin. And the more you celebrate it, the more it becomes who you are. I think we need to worship by this truth. It should light our hearts aflame. It should set our hearts on fire. Worship by it. So speak it, pray it, and worship by it. Let me close with this. One One of my favorite boxing movies is the movie Cinderella Man. It's about over 10 years old. It's older than some of you guys. Um, but uh, anyone remember Cinderella Man? No? Okay, listen. You got, you got to watch Cinderella Man this week. You can get it on Google Play for like 10 bucks and watch it together as a family. Stream it. It's amazing. It's, it is such a good movie. Uh, it's the story of this boxing ledger, legend. His name is uh, James J. Braddock. He's played by Russell Crowe. And uh, the story goes like this. R- R- Braddock had a successful rising career in boxing. And this was around the time of the Great Depression. And as he fought, um, he, he got better and better. But he had this small injury in his hand. And eventually he got the best of him. And he totally wrecked his hand. So he couldn't box anymore. And as a result, he couldn't get a job. He couldn't get a job on the docks, right? And as a result, he had to try and get on social assistance. But this was the Great Depression. So because of this, he, he lost everything. He ended up having to beg for money. He took all of his kids and he had to farm them out to different families because he couldn't afford to keep them. He couldn't afford to, to, to feed them. And, and he just got into dire straits, absolute poverty. Terrible, terrible story. Now, one day, as, as his hand got better, he was working on the docks, he, he discovered that he was, he was beginning to heal, and somebody came up to him, and it was by fluke or it was by providence. Uh, somebody had given him a one-time chance to fight again, a wild card. He wasn't sure how his hand was, but he went into the ring, and he fought anyway, and he won. He won handily. And thus began his boxing career again. And he, he started to get other uh, small fights and started getting more and more fights. And he started again to rise and to climb again. And he discovered that his hand was actually stronger than it was before because it had healed uh, as a process of working on the docks. And the one thing that drove him, the one thing that fueled him during his rise to fame again, uh, his rise to, to boxing excellence, was the memory of his family. There's a memory of his children getting doled out to other family members. The, the, the memory of, of waking up in the morning and not being able to eat even a slice of bologna and having to give it to his kid and, and to go to work that day without having any food in his stomach. Those memories fueled him in boxing. Well, finally, Braddock won his way into a showdown with the world heavyweight champion, Max Baer. Now, Max Baer was, was a vicious fighter. 
He was notorious. He'd actually killed two other men in the ring. Nobody wanted to fight Max Baer, let alone uh, the, this, uh, this up-and-coming boxer. And in the, in the days before the fight, Bayer came to him and he, he ridiculed him. He mocked Braddock. He even threatened Braddock with his own life. Everybody feared for Braddock. They thought, okay, listen, you shouldn't fight this guy. I mean, the, the fight's coming soon. You're past your prime. If you get into the ring, he will kill you. And his wife didn't support it as well. She said, I, I cannot support this. I will not even come to the fight because I cannot bear to watch you die. Great story. Now, I love one of the final scenes in the movie. It's the night before, it's the night when he's going to fight Max Bear. He's in the training room with his trainer. And in walks his wife just before the fight. Trainer walks outside of the room. And his wife just kind of walks up to him. She puts her hands on his shoulder. And she looks into his eyes with just fierce tenderness. And these may, may have been the very last words that she would ever say to him. But she wanted to remind him of who he is. And of course, Renee Zellweger plays the part, and she's, she's brilliant in the role. And here's what she says. She says, you, you can't win without me behind you. And maybe I understand something about having to fight. So you just remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Bergen and the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and you're your kid's hero. You are the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. She reminded him of who he was. And of course, his story was in fact a Cinderella story because he went into that arena knowing who he was, and he kicked Max Bear's butt. And he went on to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And I tell you that story this morning because I believe that my role this morning was simply to remind you of who you are and to ask you, do you remember who you are? Will you remember who you are when tomorrow you step into the arena, which begins in your mind? You are dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. You are victorious already because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are free from the power of sin. You are free to be fully and truly human. So remember who you are. And be who you are. Let's pray. Let's pray. With all of our being, from the tips of our toes to the tops of our head, we give thanks to you, O oh great God, for entering into our world, for giving your life for us, and giving us a new reality. We thank you for the freedom we have. We thank you for the new life we have. And we thank you that you purchased it for us in love. And God, would you by your Holy Spirit renew our minds so that we can live in this new reality. We are no longer slaves. We give thanks in Jesus' name.
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.